Hi, I'm Fernanda Contreras Gomez, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molly, and every week I speak to people working at the highest level of tennis, from players, coaches, to trainers, and more. This week, I have a joyful chat with Mexican tennis player, Fernanda Contres Gomez. I randomly overheard Fernanda having a chat at Wimbledon this year, and I thought, wow, she'd make a great guest on the podcast, which she did. Fernanda made her Wimbledon debut this year, to the joy of her late grandfather, who was a former semi-finalist at Wimbledon. She tells us all about her experience there, what it meant to her. We also chat about her college days, how she decided to go pro, her plan B, as well as her writing a book with a launch in the works. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. Head off to slingerbag.com to get all the info on it. Also, if you're interested in Mexican guests, Previously, we had Regina Cortina Lira, a professional tennis photographer on the podcast. I'll include a link to her episode in the show notes. Okay, let's chat to Fernanda. Hi, Fernanda. How are you? Good. How have you been? I've been very good. Excited to have you on here. I know I say that all the time, but I really am. And it was kind of funny. I just before I jump into you, I go into a backstory how this came about, where we were sitting in the player restaurant and I was doing some work on my laptop. And I think it was raining that day in Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. You were sitting beside me on your table. I could hear, you could hear everything, what's going on. I heard something about writing a book. And then it was your grandfather played Wimbledon. You just qualified. And I was like, that's a great story. And then about <sighs> 20 minutes later, I was like, wait, she'd make a great podcast guest. So, uh, <laughs> great to have you on. So loads to talk about. But first of all, how was Wimbledon? I saw the video, a friend of mine, Regina Cortina Lear, who, who've had on the podcast yes. before, is a fellow Mexican photographer, and she was sending me the video then. So how was it to qualify for your first Wimbledon? The Mexican media went mad. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was quite amazing. Um, first of all, I love Regina. She is such an artist. She takes the best pictures. I, I love her vision. So just want to give her a quick shout out. Um, and also she's an amazing person and a great supporter. She was there um, in Roland and she was there in Wimbledon. And I'm super happy she got to capture those moments because those memories will last a lifetime. And I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really grateful that she was there to share them with me. Yeah, it was amazing. I just remember that it was a really tough match. And in the third set, I wasn't thinking of the score. I was just thinking of fighting every point, not thinking about it. And when the ball touched the net tape and landed on the opposite side and I knew it was over. My first thought was like, oh my gosh, Wimbledon. That was my first thought because obviously you play the qualies in Roehampton, but finally you get to go to the main site. And and I had never been, I had heard so much and I had seen pictures, but it was just, oh, I I fell to the ground. I was so just overjoyed. We only talked about this with a recent guest, but the first time going to Wimbledon, as you say, Qualies is in Roehampton, so you don't even get to go inside. It's not like the other slams. What was it like the first time walking into Wimbledon, you know, as a main player, getting your credentials? Oh, I get goosebumps just thinking of it. It was amazing. I got to share that with my sister, Magdalena, who's amazing. And uh, I kept looking at her and I was like, how is this happening? Like, 
we're here and she kept saying like yes we are like i was in disbelief but she was just so so excited and it was it was really cool to share that you know because we we grew up on the stories of my grandfather playing and and traveling and just being able to be there and seeing the courts and we took the tour and we got to see the royal box and we actually when we went to see the stadium they were taking pictures of the trophy so we got to also be there to take pictures so that was cool it was just i felt like on cloud nine wow and we'll get on to your grandfather in a few minutes but how was your first round it didn't go obviously as planned but what was the feeling walking onto court were you happy with how you performed so it's it's never, you know, when you lose, you always feel like, oh, this is so sad. But you, you can't focus on that. You have to focus on the positives. You have to focus on, like, this was the first time that I played Wimbledon main draw. First time, first season on grass. So you got to take the positives and you always have to let it go. So I wish I could have played better, but it happens, you know. My opponent played really well. She She got the win, so she deserved it. It was magical. It was honestly, it just felt like, it just felt kind of like a dream. Just being on those grass courts. And I remember it was like court 17 and it was beautiful. And uh, it was, it was so nice. I, I was, I was really happy for that. It was incredible. And did you stick around for a day or two after? Or did you just pack your bags and head on to the next stop? Actually, I, I stuck or I, I stayed for two more days to watch a couple of my friends, like Catherine Harrison. She won her first round and I was really proud of her. And then I, I saw some more people, just got to hang out with my friends, you know, and then I left. So I only went for, for two more days, got to see Andy on center court win his match. And that atmosphere was insane. It was really cool. So that was fun. But then, yeah, like like you said, you got to pack up, go to the next tournament. And I was actually going to go to the clay courts tournament. So I, I had to get off of grass and start preparing for clay. So I, I headed out to Europe to play those. But unfortunately, once I got there, I got the, the bad news that my grandfather was sick. So I decided to cut down the, the Grand Slam tournament. I mean, the clay court tournaments short just to go see him because I wanted to be there to say goodbye, obviously, and to support my, my mom and my dad, because it's never easy to lose a parent, no matter what age you are. So I had been planning on playing in July, but obviously came back to Austin, was with my family. And unfortunately, it was a um, really tough month for my family because I had a couple more deaths. Uh, my Both my grandparents passed away and it was just really, really tough um, for both my parents. So that was sad. Lots of funerals, but it's part of life. I, I'm happy that I, they got to see Wimbledon and they got to see Roland before they passed away. Yeah, well, f first of all, I've said it before, but very sorry to hear about both your grandparents. I didn't know it was both. And sorry for sending you messages. I was probably no, nine. No, no, it's okay. When you book it in and just trying to stay on top <laughs> of things, and I wasn't aware of it, but uh, sorry about that. But No problem. Your grandfather got to the semis of Wimbledon. Just two, a few questions around that. One was, how proud were you of you getting to Wimbledon? You know, thinking back at him. And then also, what was it like growing up as a, as a young kid when yeah. like your grandfather's playing Wimbledon, touring around? Like, how much did that inspire you? Yeah, well, it was, well, he started it all. So he started the, you know, the tennis. He was the one who, who picked the sport. His father actually was an Olympian athlete in the 1924 Olympics. He used to be a runner, a sprinter, a high jumper. 
And but my father, my grandfather, he decided to do tennis. And so he was he was a maverick in that. And especially in the family, <laughs> there's a lot of cool stories about him. He um, obviously played during times when it was not so easy to communicate, not so easy to travel. So he couldn't be there for the births of his four children. So he would give them a second name depending on where he was. So, <laughs> yeah. So my uncle's name is Francisco Wimbledon. I mean, Francisco Jr. Wimbledon Contreras. So Pancho Jr. That was his nickname. And then my grand, my dad was Javier Altamira because he was in Venezuela. And then my aunt was uh, Lourdes Cleveland because he was in the U.S. Open swing. And then my aunt's was, name was Raquel Brisbane because he was in the Australia swing. So he was everywhere. So, so that was cool. But he always told us about the sacrifices that are needed to, to get to that level. You know, he was like, I obviously could have, I would have wished to be there for my kids when they were born to be there with your grandma, but I couldn't. I, I was on the middle of the tour. I had to drive 50 hours to get somewhere. Like it wasn't like today where you can just get a flight and, and go. So he did instill in us that like discipline and sacrifice that you have to have if you want to really pursue your sport. And so that helped me a little bit this year because I obviously couldn't spend Christmas or New Year's with my family. I had to, you know, be in tournaments. I was in Australia. And so it made me feel better that he supported me and that he knew what I was going through and that he called me and he made sure I wasn't alone during those times so he was pretty great that, that must be it's amazing it must be so inspiring like and how much did he help you on your tennis journey did he help you more than your parents like well it's complicated because everybody thinks that as a big tennis family like tennis was everything but it, it wasn't for him i mean he was definitely like he loved it he he lived breathed ate tennis but he never really did that to me and so and didn't force it on me he never told me like, you have to be a tennis player or you're not my granddaughter. No, it was never like that. And especially with my dad, he never tried to coach me. He was just like, I want to support you. I'm your dad first and then, and then your friend. And then I want you to have fun on the court. He never told me like, oh, do, do this or this is a strategy. He just wanted me to enjoy it. And so I remember with my grandfather, um, he called me twice. So once was right before Wimbledon qualies. And he asked me like, oh, when do you play? And I was like, oh, this week I'm in Roehampton. He was like, oh, I remember like, and he told me about Queens and all the places he had played. And then he just said, enjoy it. He never told me like win or you have to do this or tip and charge. He was just like, enjoy it and live in the moment. And then when I qualified, I called him and I was like, grandpa, I did it. I'm playing. And he was so excited. He was like, I knew you could do it. I'm so proud. Like you got this. And it was, it was sad because that was our last conversation, but it was such a good, you know, it was such a great memory. It's a great way to end it. You know, yeah. it's just, he must've been so proud of you. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. Yeah. Okay, so and was, was he, you're saying you grew up in America, you, you didn't grow up in Mexico. Am I right in saying that? 
Yes. So long story short, I grew up in Mexico till I was around 13, 14. Um, And during that time, my mom was pursuing a PhD in the University of Texas. So we all went with her. And so I I did high school in the US. So that's why I kind of have an American accent, just because I I obviously, I guess my formative years of my teenage years was spent a, a in the U.S., in in Texas. And then after that, I went to college in Vanderbilt University. Yeah, and then I went pro. (laughs) You had quite a good college career. Are you the most most player in Vanderbilt with the most wins? Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. But yeah, I was really lucky. I I, I got to play a lot because uh, I didn't get injured much. So I got to just play every match. I think the only times I didn't play was when they said, oh, there's there's a cap on how many matches you can play. <laughs> so that was really, I, I got really lucky. I had a really good um, athletic treatment at Vanderbilt. Uh, Carrie Wilbar, she really took care of us. And so, um, yeah, I just got to play a lot of matches. So that was nice. Yeah, and it was really fun just with the team. We, we ended up doing really well in the four years that I was there. You know, like any sport, there's ups and downs, but the ups were really, really great. And the downs were very short so that was pretty really fun roller coaster ride great and you're an all-american as well which is a yeah, great yeah. So, <laughs> yeah and tell me when you finished high school was it always college was there ever thoughts of going pro or you just said no i'm going to college oh actually no i didn't think about going pro until my last year's in at Vanderbilt I knew how hard the the call like the pro life was because my dad was a pro and my grandfather was a pro and I didn't know if that life was for me you know that the lifestyle uh the constantly traveling the weeks and months of maybe being alone on the road I didn't know if it was for me so for high school my last three choices of colleges were uh, Yale Rice and Vanderbilt and so obviously, if I had gone to Yale, I probably wouldn't have played much tennis and I probably wouldn't have had the chance to go pro. But when I visited, I immediately fell in love with Vanderbilt. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. I loved the campus. I liked the team. I liked the academics. It was just, it just felt like the perfect fit for me. And uh, also, Jeff McDonald and Aliki Tuzvanos had a great program and it, it was, it was thriving. It felt very empowering, so I decided to go there. I thought that would be the best, you know, place where I could flourish and reach my potential. So that's why I chose Vanderbilt, and it was a great decision. And what was the decision that in your last year that said, "Okay, I'm going to give this pro tour a go"? Yeah, I played five and six mostly my freshman and sophomore year. And then my junior year, I got to play All-Americans. It was a tournament in Riviera in California and in like Pacific Palisades. And it was really cool, really exciting. It was like a one of the fall individual national tournaments. And I actually ended up doing really well from qualifying. I got to the, to the finals and ended up winning it. And that's when I, I really had a maybe I could do this moment. Because then I was ranked top 10 and then I didn't drop for the next two years until I graduated. I was always top 10, top five. Got to semis of two more NCAAs, uh, individuals, team finals. So I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. Like it started becoming more realistic. And so 
so yeah, that's when I decided like junior year ish, I thought I'll give it a year or two and I have a good plan B. So no worries there, no stress. Um, yeah, that's how I decided. What is plan B? Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah. So, um, now I have plan B, C, D, E. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I actually studied mechanical engineering at Vanderbilt. My mom is an engineer. She studied industrial engineering and then she did uh, her master's. I think she has two master's in anal- analytic logistics. And well, I've just been around engineering so much that for me, it was kind of like, oh, the next step, you know, it was kind of like I've grown up doing it. I grew up building Legos, building stuff with my mom that for me was just kind of easy to do. So I, I liked it. It was really fun, especially because Vanderbilt was very project oriented and it was very fun, uh, very interactive engineering. It wasn't just sit down type, like do a lot of math, blah. It was very hands-on, like, how can I help this person? Like one of my senior design projects was this person wants to come to you and she wants you to make her life easier on campus. So she just literally tells you about her life on campus and you figure out a way to make it better. That was my engineering program. And it was really cool. I had, I had a bunch of those. I had like five programs and five projects that were really, really fun. And so I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I know a lot of people think engineering is overwhelming or sometimes very theoretical or very mundane, but at least at Vandy, it wasn't. It was very project, hands-on, interactive, fun, like jet engine projects or even like bird projects, like stop birds from hitting windows mm. and passing. And, you know, because that was actually one of my projects for a semester, kind of figuring out why birds hit windows and why they crash into buildings and how to prevent it. So that was, that was pretty cool. It was problem solving, which was nice. You're solving real life problems. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, sit down and figure out this uh, equation. It was like, it was fun uh, to have that guidance from my professors and to have that, those resources from the university to be able to, you know, work with nanotechnology or work with robotics. It was just really, really fun. That sounds good. Our listeners may not know that they probably don't know, but I'm actually a software engineer. Oh, let's go. Yeah, well, not to- not solving. Yeah, I wouldn't say some real life problems, but this was a long time ago. I After graduating, I never really went near it, apart from a few projects. But I so, I did think, I thought you were going to say you're going to be an auditor. One thing oh, I did yeah. pick up when I was eavesdropping on your conversation was that you wrote a book. Tell us about the book. Yeah, so um, that's another one of my life passions. I'm I'm a big nerd. So um, when COVID hit, I was quite bored. I, I didn't have much to do like the rest of the world, I'm sure. Uh, but I was in a very privileged position where I, I was able to be at home. I was able to, you know, survive and I didn't have to struggle for, you know, for stuff. So it was just my my aunt and my mom were told me hey like this is the only time in your life only time in your life where literally all you have to do is stay home and do whatever you want that's all you have to do so i started picking up some new hobbies and started reading outside my usual you know my usual genres and so i started delving into a little bit of mythology and this idea had popped into my head after i had graduated just because 
when I travel to tournaments, I also like to to take the opportunity to explore. So I, I like to go, for example, to museums or to historical sites. And an idea had popped into my head in 2019, like late 2019. And during 2020, I started just letting my mind get creative and storytell. And then my aunt told me, hey, writing is a very a very soothing thing. Why don't you you try it. And I had never really tried it as a fun hobby for me writing as an engineer. And, you know, it was like, oh, Java, C++, you know, Python. Just It was very effective, not very creative, not very emotional. So when I got to start writing, I, I discovered that I truly, truly loved it. And I just started having a lot of fun with it. And it started coming together in my head and in my writing. At first, it was just a fun hobby. But then once I was halfway through with the book, maybe 75% done, my aunt had been reading it with me and she said, like, this is good. You should share it, like share it with your friends, share it with family. Like, it's interesting. It's a cool plot. It's compelling. So I was like, okay, sure. Like, it's my hobby, whatever. I'll share it with my mom and my dad. And my mom and my dad liked it, but it's my mom and dad. And then I shared it <laughs> with my grandma and she liked it, but obviously it's my grandma. So like, whatever. And then I shared it to three of my friends uh, who have different genre tastes in reading and they all liked it. So then I thought, okay, if they all liked it, I might as well try to like take this further. So I did send it over to a couple editors. And so now I'm working with Leslie Wells from E5. She's, um, she's a very, very well-known editor. Um, she's had like 49 New York Times bestsellers. And so I remember I, I sent it to her just to see what she would think. And she was interested. She liked the plot. She liked the writing. She said, yeah, I'd, I'd want to work with you. Um, and so we have another chat in two days. She's almost done reading it. So far, it's been favorable. So I think it has potential. So that's that's when I think you overheard me because I was speaking with Marty Schneider. And he actually is one of the people who read my book. And he, he was so interested because I remember texting him in, <laughs> at Wimbledon. And he was like, don't talk to me. I'm in chapter 30. Like, <laughs> I need to focus. It's <laughs> like, okay, Marty, he, he's, he's awesome. Uh, he, he's amazing. He's a great guy. He's super supportive, best person to have on your team, especially during slams. I don't know Marty now. I'd be lying if I said I knew him. Is he coach? No, no, no worries. I would say he's more of like mental support help. <laughs> he's he's kind of like a friend to a lot of uh, players, like with Danielle and Lina Glushko and Rebecca Marino. He's kind of like our friend and he comes to a lot of tournaments and just is super positive. So I met him in Roland Garros and we got along super well. So we just started um, chatting and yeah, that's probably the conversation you overheard. He was just very excited and he was like, yeah, we should take this further. Like I want to see where it goes, especially cause uh, no spoilers, but there's a book two coming up oh, wow. and he's, yeah, he's very excited for that because it's kind of like in the book one ends in a cliffhanger and he's just like, I want to see this through. Like I want to know what happens. So the new Danielle Steele here, is she a famous writer, Danielle Steele. Is that Danielle Steele. That might ring a bell. I'm more, I'm a more visual learner. So if I see, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't read them there. I just know the name. So you'd be, what I'm trying to say is you'd be skipping 
engineering and going st- straight to the writing? Ah, uh, well, I think tennis and writing go along quite nicely because sometimes you have a lot of downtime in tournaments. And so as long as I do tennis, I can still do writing, which is, is great. So I don't need to, you know, have a, you know, I don't need to quit one or the other and pursue one passion over the other. I can do both, which is, which is quite amazing. And I'm blessed uh, that I can do both, you know, both exciting things. But then that also puts me in an awkward position because then I, I don't have much time for like other things, you know, people are, would be like, Oh, like you're done with tennis. Like come hang out. I'm like, ah, I'm actually doing this for my book. So, Oh shoot. I'm, I'm busy. I'm so sorry. So it's kind of like having two jobs, but having two jobs that I love and adore. Yeah. That sounds like you love them both, but just like two questions left here. One is by having a plan B and C, does that affect your plan A at all? No, I think it strengthens it because it kind of just gives me confidence that if I ever need to take a break or if I ever feel like this lifestyle or this sport isn't for me anymore, I always have the freedom to go back. But I really like tennis as of now and I, I don't see myself quitting in the foreseeable future. But let's say I, I get injured and I need to be out for a year. At least I know I have a good, you know, backup to keep my mind busy, to keep my body busy. I, I can do either an internship or work for a year, you know, or I could just go back and do a master's. So I, I, I'm super grateful that I have the options available, you know, that I can pursue different things. Just with this sh- short, chat you do sound super grateful and appreciative of the opportunities you've had that's just come across without you just the way you're speaking which is great to hear because you don't hear that all the time people feel sorry for themselves and you just seem to be really happy with your life and you know the opportunities you've got you've made the most of them and that's what you continue to do but last question what advice do you have for all of our parents and junior listeners I would say, and this is the advice that I would give to also my younger self, is that truly enjoy it. Don't suffer. Like, don't choose to suffer. Choose to be happy and choose to play with joy because it's all in the attitude. It's all in how you, your perspective. It's all in how you decide to view your life and your paths. So, don't choose stress or don't choose, oh, I'm a failure if you lost a certain match or if you didn't reach the certain ranking that you wanted. Don't choose that. Choose to love the passion, the sport. Why? Why do you like it? Like if you're a parent, make sure that your kid is really happy with their sport. Support them. That's all they want from you. They need love and support and kindness and that's honestly all a parent can give. And that, I guess that would be my advice to just <laughs> choose happiness and joy. <laughs> as corny as that sounds. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But thanks a lot. I hope during this call, you've been waiting on a, an entry. Yeah, the lucky loser a, a lucky spot. lucky <laughs> loser spot. So hopefully that works out. I'm glad it didn't ring in the past few minutes, but I hope it yeah. rings now. Somebody will Thank pull out. You. Best of luck in Concord. And yeah, I'll I'll speak to you soon and appreciate you jumping on and sharing a little bit of your story. Thank you, Fabio. Thank you so much for having me. Really hope you enjoyed that episode. I just love the energy Fernanda had. I hope you did too. Let me know what you think and I'll be back next week with another episode. Bye. Bye.